Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Real Gym Radio. I'm Daniel, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is the great Matt Moore of the Action Network in both written and podcast form, plus Locked On NBA, Locked On Nuggets. And as those of you familiar with these pods will know, this is a tiers podcast and really fun criteria for this time. We get it. It's about urgency for the 23-24 season. Great conversation. Runs about an hour. Brought to you by FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. New customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed if you place a $5 bet. I will, of course, talk about that a lot more later. And lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Love doing this, man. And in a rarity of our tears pods, which I love doing so much, I actually pitched the, the criteria for this week. You accepted it. And... What I mean, there'll be some fuzziness with it, but what I what I pitched was the urgency for the 23-24 season. So we're not looking to the future. I mean, in the context of 23-24, we are, but outside of that, and I'm thinking of this more organizationally. So that could be, you know, like, and one way of thinking about it is if a team did five games worse or five games better than their over-under, like how big would the ripples be is one way of thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's like the good way to put it, right? Is like how much pressure I think is on the front office. Um, a good way to kind of say it is like if things were to go south immediately, how quickly would they elevate the panic status? Um, you know, how how much does a failure this season, what kind of changes would that evoke, right? Like that was one of the things that I kind of thought about is, okay, if they look at the season as a failure and teams will be like, if you don't win the title, it's a failure and that's a lie. Like if, if teams, if, they, if they're really able to say like, we thought we were a playoff team, and we didn't even make the play in does that elicit change or are they just like okay we're moving in the right direction disappointing year but we're sticking with it or is it like we thought we would make the conference finals and we got knocked out in the first round people got to go like that was kind of the equation of how much pressure is on um, the organization but i think as a reflection of that like how much pressure is on are they exerting then on the team to be like Guys, like we we got to make a run here. Like this, we have expectations for this team to contend or contend for a playoff spot or make it out of the the twenties. Like what what are the whatever the expectations are? How important is it to reach those goals? Because I've covered teams where you know they had kind of low goals or they had medium goals, but it was also like, well, you know, if we don't get there, we're still, as long as we're going in the right direction, it's fine. Um, most teams will say that, like, as long as we got better, but that's not the case. Like, there are some, in mm-hmm. some cases, there are, like, hard things that need to be accomplished, and all of that factors in. I thought this was a great exercise you came up with. One other note before we get started, because this will come up very quickly in my tiers. I considered any person whose input and interpretation matters, so that you know, owners, general managers, players, if it's a player who has decisions to make, then that matters too. That will be significant for a couple of my early teams and less significant for some of my later teams. But I think that's a way of, of leading in. And, and I I told you, Matt, before we started recording that I feel like this is an episode more than most where at least I can only speak for myself that you could be convincing me to move teams around because there are so many facets and you're fantastic at thinking about this where it's like, oh, I have this team in tier two or tier three and this is what would happen if everything fell apart. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it'll, it'll be a good exercise on both ends, right? Because I think the one of the things that'll be key about this is um, there's stuff that we know and there's stuff that we think and there's stuff that we don't, right? I mean, we're back in, in known unknowns uh, to sure. borrow complicated terminology. But um, I think it's interesting. It's interesting from the standpoint, uh, like one of the first teams um, in my tier two is like a great example of this and we'll get to them, but uh, just of – there has been a very clear indication that things better go a certain way this season. And if they don't, I would expect changes. I could start with tier one. And for now, I'm noting for now, because I would expect some of these to change. I have four teams here and I'll explain each of them quickly. And then we'll jump to the ones that you, that, that we'll, we'll probably discuss all four of them. Not in a particular order, but in a loose order for a reason. Um, number one is actually the Clippers. And the Clippers have a couple of different pressures. One of them is that they have these two stars in their 30s. You know, this is going to be age, I think this is 30, 33 season for Paul George, 32 for Kawhi. And that's part of it. But the other big part is those guys both have player options. They could be unrestricted for agent. And they're starting They're starting in a new arena, presumably next year. So the idea being... I brought this up actually in a cap in a cap space piece I wrote. I'm like, the Clippers could actually clear the decks pretty aggressively. I don't think they want to. I don't think anyone wants to right now. But if it if it goes south, this could look really different, either because Balmer wants it or because the, the guys want it. Yeah, that was the team I was referring to in terms of things better change, right? Um, they were their tier their their the first team I put on my list and they wound up in the as the first team of tier two, and I'll explain why in a sec. But you're absolutely right in that um, my second tier is called This Better Work, mm-hmm. and it's like This Better Work. And there's two other teams in that category for different reasons. But the Clippers, you know, when when they come out after the season and they're like, we got to take the regular season seriously. Like, There's just a, like a lot of indications of, guys, we've invested a lot of money in this and we haven't done anything. You know, we have one conference finals appearance that petered out in 2021. And you can talk about the pandemic and you can talk about Kawhi's injuries. And that, that does seem to be a competing kind of concept within the building based off of public comments which is one side's like look what do you want us to do like Kawhi had knee surgery twice what that just bad luck paul's gotten hurt like stuff happens and the other side is like okay but also like we've aggressively not played guys in the regular season which hasn't bought us enough time because we haven't finished with a high enough seed to be able to allow them to get back healthy um and there's just like i think a lot of pressure especially when you look at things like the amount of noise around the possibility of Ty Lu leaving this summer and he eventually decides to come back. And my read on that is effectively that Ty was pretty tired of everything that goes on around that franchise and that team, but was like, let's give it one more shot. And like, it seems like everybody's in line with let's really try this. Let's go for this. You know, but ultimately what's interesting, I think about the urgency with the Clippers is I actually think it's more of, I think the team is approaching that point where they're, they have empowered and enabled the stars so much. And again, Kawhi's had legitimate surgeries. And I think Paul George has just had really bad injury luck. Um, but I think that there is kind of the sense of we better do something here, guys, or we're going to have to make a change. And so I totally agree with you. Like, I have no problem with you putting them tier one. I was going to do my first four. I actually would just want to hear your number one. And let's let's just go there. Um, my first tier is called Panic at the Disco. Yes. Uh, and it's three teams that I think that if things do not go right, it's like, all right, it's the, the, we're going down, baby. <laughs> and everything's on. It's, we're having a fire sale. Um, it, the Sixers are number one. They're my number and two. So, yeah, that makes sense. That's like a really interesting situation, right? Where on the one hand, I could see that the premise being like, look, we made the second round again, but we, we did that. And then we had the situation with James. So we've got to give this time and Tyrese is coming into his own and this that and the other i don't buy it um there's a lot of conversation in league circles about much like it was when Kyrie asked out and everyone said oh yeah Kyrie, very good so what about kd same deal here where with harden asking out everyone's wondering what happens if the only return is the stuff on the board of terrence mann and two first in terms of the offer from the sixers if that's the only thing that, that returns how does Embiid react to that and if Embiid is not satisfied with the direction of the franchise, what happens then? To me, there are a lot of curious signals going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got an ownership shift. You have, um, uh, to a certain degree, you've got Neil O'Shea this morning as we were recording this podcast is joining the franchise as a consultant. There's a lot of weirdness around the Sixers 
from a long-term perspective. Like we pay attention to things like why did they make that roster move, you know, Windhorst fingers. But there are more signals, I think, in the background of what happens following the resolution of this hardened disaster that could lead to um, a lot of changes. And so for the Sixers, like what's the way out of that? And it's like, well, you got, you got to win. You know, if the Sixers make the conference finals, if the Sixers make a finals, if the Sixers win the title, then all of a sudden the conversation changes, but they better win. Um, my other two teams are the Raptors and the Hornets. Mm. T- Toronto being, to me, very obvious just with, I feel like Masai is knows like he's got an eye on the sands running out of the, the glass. He's just not willing to deal from a, a, a leveraged position. The reporting over the summer from Michael Grange about Pascal Siakam, the comments on media day about Pascal Siakam. It, my understanding based off of a lot of conversations is that the Raptors are not comfortable with paying OG and a massive new deal. They might, because it might be something that they just have to do because there's not a better alternative, but that's not something they're looking to do. And so for me, it's like, unless this team puts it together and all of a sudden transforms, Scotty Barnes makes a leap and they become under, you know, new coach Darko, a really solid Eastern conference playoff team. I, I I think there are really tough questions for this franchise. Um, and then with the Hornets, just real quickly, it, for me, it's new ownership, right? New ownership is in place. I still have a lot of questions about what happened on draft night because there's a lot of people in the league that don't believe that it was as simple as, yeah, they were always taking Brandon Miller. That that question of Scoop Henderson versus Brandon Miller was a lot more up in question and that new ownership may not have preferred the outcome that that happened. I don't know. if I haven't talked to anybody in, in the Charlotte office to confirm that, but it's an interesting wrinkle. Um, and based off of the veterans on the roster that there's a lot of confidence in from the coaching staff, you have the Miles Bridges incident once again causing questions about his long-term uh, place in the league, and you have all the pressure on LaMelo Ball to kind of prove that he's more of a winning player. To me, this really could be um, new ownership, is gonna, I think, is going to look at this pretty strongly, and unless they feel like, okay, we got a pretty good team here, I could see major changes. So Sixers, Raptors, Hornets, panic at the disco is my first year. I'll add one more thing to the Sixers. You explained it really well. And that's, I wrote, you know, wrote earlier this year at The Athletic about the, and I wasn't saying I agreed with it, the idea that the Sixers, like, what what would they be looking for in this cap space journey if that's what they're trying to do for 24? And the part of that that hasn't kind of been mentioned yet is you actually need that player X, whoever that is, to want to come there. And that's going to require, so it's not only like you need to actually execute all these different things and you do it, but you need to be the best available and you need, and that probably requires Joel Embiid being on board because maybe somebody like uh, Pascal Siakam or something would be just like, hey, this is my best option if I don't want to stay where I am. But that's a consideration there. I I love your pick with the Raptors. I I had them top of tier two, but I think I'm probably going to move them into tier one just because like the, the, the delta between the different outcomes is just so large for them. Mm -hmm. And the other two teams that that we haven't mentioned yet that I have in my tier one are for very different reasons. Um, One of them is the Lakers just because LeBron James is about to turn 39. And it's not the idea that the team will look dramatically different. It's the idea that this is their, probably their last best shot and they already won one championship and they will, that banner will fly forever. But the idea that, it is as as incredible as LeBron James has been. It is unreasonable to expect that he, at age forty, can be the best player on a championship team, and maybe Anthony Davis can be. But the idea being that, like, it's it's now if they're going to win a title, there there to me there isn't a realistic path that it's not this year with this core. You have the, you know, the, the I understand the cynicism about his comments about retirement. I, I do. And I don't necessarily disagree with it. I I do think, though, he doesn't mention that unless it's something that has actually crossed his mind. Like, I think the the big lesson here is for players, once you become aware of your mortality, that's when the clock starts. And the clock has started on LeBron. It started a couple of years ago, I I think probably, but it officially started, I think, this summer. And if you really kind of look at it, I think he does want to play till 40. I think um, we'll see what happens with the Brawny situation. He's made some different comments on that. I'm not sure that that's what Brawny wants. You know, Brawny's obviously got bigger things to worry about um, with his after his heart condition. Um, but I do think that you're right. This is the last best shot. Like this is 
there's a lot of ways this is the last best shot where you may get to the end of this year and just be like, man, we had a good team, but like LeBron just wasn't LeBron anymore. Like he just wasn't that guy anymore because there are, you know, if you pay attention, it's really funny. People that are just like, yeah, he's washed. It's like, no, you gotta, he dropped 40 in game four. Like he, he still has nights where he's that guy, but it's the in-between ones when people are like, oh no, he's still LeBron. And it's like, oh, you, you gotta watch him night to night. And you'll see a lot of times when he goes for that extra burst to get to the rim and it's not there. And once they start to notice that they're reaching for something and it's not there, that's a really meaningful change. Chris Paul had that like like one or two years ago and it it totally – I could see games where it like changed his psyche. Yeah, for sure. And then um, the other thing is just – look, if you're LeBron and you've been through this this whole – it'll have been five years by the end of this uh, from the start of the AD era – and you get to the, to this five years later, and you have the title, you know, and, and you're always going to love him, and you have a close relationship with him. But AD gets hurt again. You've just got to be like, look, man, it just wasn't meant to be. Like, you know, it sucks, but you just couldn't stay healthy, and I'm going to go finish my career somewhere else. Um, I think if you're the Lakers, they'll probably just, you know, double down on AD as much as possible. But um, I do think that at some level, you got to be like, look, the guy can't take over the franchise if he's not able to finish seasons. If he's not able to play more than 50 games a year, it's just not doable. And he seems really motivated this year. That The other part of this is like there's an urgency from him. Sure. He talks about, about wanting to play 82 games. He's really focused on improving his jump shot, which is extremely vital to making him the MVP candidate people view him as. Um, they did really invest in this core. Like they spent a lot of money to basically like really buy into a team that made the conference finals. Like they believe in this core. They think this team is like a championship team. And so if it turns out that, no, you had a good march and you caught two teams in bad spots and then you got waxed and you're okay – but that's not you're not on that level. There's probably changes from LeBron on down from that situation. So I agree with that one. Um, who's well, the I, other team you're top tier? LeBron's former team, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And this is Donovan Mitchell. Ooh. Because Donovan Mitchell, I mean, he never chose to go to Cleveland in the first place. And the general arc of NBA superstar players is that if they don't want to be somewhere now, and we don't know that that's the case, that move will happen at the latest, a year before he hits unrestricted free agency, and Mitchell has a player option for 25-26. So to me, what that means is this season will determine, to the extent that it is determinable, whether Donovan Mitchell is on this team. And now, the, the really good news for Cleveland is that I firmly believe there is a non-Mitchell path for them to still be a damn good team. And potentially even, depending on what the trade return would be, a better team. Though, I mean, Mitchell had a really good year and it's getting underappreciated a little bit because of how horrendously their playoffs ended. But like yeah. Donovan Mitchell had a wonderful regular season. Yeah, and he's also, so, I, have a, I, I have an MVP bet on Donovan mm. Mitchell. I have, a, I, I have a division bet on the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think they're going to win 55 games. I think they're going to be the number two seed in the East. I'm extremely high on them based off mm. of like all the analysis that I've done setting up the season. And um, I'll throw one other, one other little breadcrumb out there. I like him a lot as a player. It seems like the Cavs are less committed to Jaron Allen than I am. <laughs> Yeah, and so the idea that uh, it's if it goes worse, what could happen? And like to me, I think Garland and Mobley will be there for a while. But I mean, if you have a team that were they number one in net rating last year, but that like loses potentially one or two of their four best players if things go poorly, that's a big change. And like they could they could potentially fire their coach. They could do a lot of other stuff. So so Danny, uh, you know, you said that you were going to be the one that. that move things around and I'm, I'm moving the Cavaliers up based ah. on your analysis. Uh, I am moving them into tier two with the Clippers, the Lakers, the Cavaliers now um, under a, a tier titled this better work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of thing, right? Is that I had them one lower, which is final, final four bust, but it, it really does kind of seem like, you have to win the title this year, and that's the difference. Is like the Clippers, the Lakers, and the other team I have in this tier. Like they better win the title because otherwise, it's like, uh oh. Um, the Cavaliers don't have to win the title. No, if they make the conference finals, I, I, I mean, I can't speak to Donovan Mitchell, but the rest of it, I think they'd be like organizationally, they'd be like, oh, cool. 
Yeah, and so, but like you, you, you can't have a year where you wind up disappointed, where you'd be like, man, we didn't even – like last year was so disappointing. Like you lost to Tom Thibodeau, who is genuinely one of the worst playoff coaches that we've seen in the last like 10 years. People don't really realize that, but when you actually look at the records of Tibbs and the situations, especially when you look at things like was he favored or not, he just typically underperforms almost every metric in the playoffs because his teams don't have an extra gear, and you got whooped by the by the Knicks. Um, if they have a year like that, then – like, yeah, Mitchell's gone, Jared Allen's gone, and they're reconfiguring around Garland and Mobley. You know, and maybe that team line still winds up pretty good. So, like, they don't have the same level of, of urgency. But for, wow, we're a 50-win team, we could really make some noise. We have, like, this top whatever player in Donovan Mitchell. This better be a season where it kind of comes together. So I'm with you on this better work. Um, I'm curious where you have the other team I have in this tier, too. Because I said the Clippers, the Lakers, the Cavs now. The other team I have is the Bucks. I have the Bucks tier, too, as well. And... Yeah. I thematically have another team kind of grouped with them in my tier two, though I have others, and that's the Suns, where I don't think it's this year or never, it's this year, next year or never, and that's, you know, that's a lot. And and when you consider the expectations for the Bucks in particular, I mean, they got Damian Lillard, they sacrificed a lot to do it, I supported the deal that they did, and I mean, he's his timeline, like, I mean, he's been wonderful when he's been on the floor the last few years, and there's an argument to be made that some of why he wasn't on the floor, like a lot of Blazers, was deliberate, not on his part. But yeah, I mean, it, and for Milwaukee, the juxtaposition of, and the timing, of course, tells a big part of the story, of changing coaches to a rookie head coach, though Griffin, of course, has a ton of NBA experience, just not as a head coach. And this roster, it's... I, I mean, I was going to say it's like it's very rare. It did sort of happen last year with the Celtics in Missoula, but the difference there is I don't know how far ahead the Celtics saw that coming. Right. Yeah. I mean, it would have been. I, I think the the difference is maybe. Yeah. If if the Udoka situation had ha- had happened in June and come out then instead of uh you know what September then you know do they just clean house do they just they probably i think probably just promote will hardy right so that's what i think too yeah so and and i don't know like i think that's a better option i think will hardy's a better coach from what i've seen than joe mazula um but it's still probably not like they get a veteran coach in there but i do think with the bucks is a little bit different which is just like i i am the reason this better work for me is there's a couple of things. One, like this morning, the uh, the departure of Terry Stotts, I thought was just like everyone kind of turned their head at that. Like, what? And there could be a, a totally unrelated family reason or health for Stotts. Um, but you have kind of the situation where if Dame goes through his entire saga and he relents and he gets traded to Milwaukee and then this doesn't work, they'll still be good because they have two of the best 10 players in the league, depending on where you have Dame. Top 15, right? And they have one of the top three at worst, probably top two. So like they're going to be good. But if they get to the end of the year and it's like, we just don't have it, man. Like This doesn't click. Like This doesn't work. And that's why we lost in the second round or conference finals. Then I think that there is like a real, uh-oh, what do we do now? Because they have committed so much money to guys who are so old. And they have given up a lot in terms of, of draft capital to make this happen and to put this contending team around Giannis and I don't think it, it falls apart but I do think that it's like man this team is top heavy old and thin and those things that's a perilous situation mm-hmm. yeah and I if mean, you get I, I don't know how you feel good about going into next year if it doesn't work this year if you get to the end of it and you're just like yeah this isn't really working how even with all the contract stability I don't know that that makes it a good situation going forward one way of putting this is there are so many things that can happen, and I think the Bucks are going to be a very good team. If I had to put odds right now, if we record this exact same podcast 365 days from now, the two teams that I would put the most money on being number one are the Bucks and the Sixers. So that means the Bucks have to be close, you know, in the idea. And the Sixers, it, like, they might not be there because it might already be done. Like, we just don't know yeah. which way that's going to shake out. Uh, so the other three teams I have in my Tier 2... Um, I mentioned the Suns. I think there are two and out, you know, like just with Durant and Beal, you know, Beal's window, we we don't really know just because how his game is aging and like what his engagement defensively is going to be. We'll have to see. But then the other two that I had, I had real trouble placing one and then the other I was pretty locked in on here. So I'll do the easier one first. And that was the Dallas Mavericks. And mm-hmm. 
For Dallas, it's the combination of the Luka window, which I don't think is this year. I don't think it's like you have to win, make the conference finals again. You have to win the title or anything like that. But if by next year things haven't figured out, and the problem for Dallas is it's very hard for them to change big things between now and then. So that's why they're tier two, not tier one, but not tier three. And then the other one is the Warriors. And I had trouble placing the Warriors because... As a practical consideration, this season going well and going poorly probably doesn't change their roster that much, but it could change the feel, and it could change other elements like who their coach is. And another thing, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Kerr's looking for. Maybe he's going to sign an extension. Maybe Clay's going to sign an extension. And the other part for the Warriors, kind of paralleling the Lakers, is we don't know how wide their window is. And so maybe it is this year. Maybe it's not even this year. So I have a, you know, I, I have this tier three is final four or bust. Mm. And I have the Suns and Warriors in that group with one other team I'll talk about in a second. Uh, the Suns, you kind of mentioned. I do think if the Suns make the conference finals, that they're able to be like, yeah, no, we're, we're there. Like, we're a title contender. Agreed. And we do have Kevin Durant for however many years he has left. And we do have Bradley Beal. And we do have Devin Booker. And so you just kind of keep swapping out the parts until you until either the wheels fall off on KD or uh, you find the right combination. And so if they were to make second round, and I think it, part of this mem- depends on who they face and, and how, right? Because if you're the Suns, on some level, you're able to say, look, we took more games off of the eventual champion than any other team did. We got two. Nobody else made it to six versus Denver. But if they get waxed by Denver in a second round series again, then you have to kind of be like, man, we had Bradley Beal and it just didn't do anything. Like we are not close. And I wonder what that looks like. So they got to kind of make the conference finals. I have the Warriors here in Final Four bust. I think there's a little bit more urgency on them. And the reason is is this, which is um, they have the two timelines plan. They realized that wasn't working. They scrapped it. They shift to let's go all in. And now my concern is I'm just like – I I was t- I've been talking about this all on my Action Network betting podcast buckets. I just feel like no one really understands how old this team is. It, it's true. Like th- this team is decrepit. I mean, it's Kaminga and Moody and like just a bunch of old dudes. And if Clay, the question I think with Clay is like, does he look more like regular season, or does he look like the dude that he was at the end of the playoffs? Because that was rough. And what I do think you have is I think you have at least two guys in Chris Paul and Clay Thompson that I don't know if they're going to have enough juice in late May that they can play in a regular season because part of it is they have so much money now tied up. They 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 have to play in the regular season. They don't have enough depth there, even with some of the young guys looking good to be able to get through. Curry, I have less concerns about. Like that's that's kind of the exception here, and that's why it's not like you know disastrous. And I can kind of see it because it's just like, look, no matter what, Steph still like Steph shows no signs of slowing down. He's gonna miss games, but they're gonna be they'll win so much when he plays, it's fine. But I do kind of wonder, especially with Draymond, because there have been these like little signals. Like his season last year in the stuff that he does, passing defense, phenomenal. Like their win record was great with him. Some of the advanced metrics were actually really positive towards Draymond for the first time. Um, more so than Steph, which was a, an interesting kind of twist given how the season went. But then a lot of it's just like Steph wound up playing with Wiseman a lot. And they get Wiggins back, and that's good. Uh, and that probably shores things up a bit. But for me, I just wonder, like, like you know, you, you said, like, oh, we have two timelines. We're going to contend forever. This is this is an eternal empire. No. OK. All right. No, we have a short window. We got to make it. We have to make it work now. If you wake up on June 1st and you're like, no, like the wind, like it's just over. What does a franchise do? And so I do think that there is kind of a they need to be able to prove, yeah, we still got it. Because once you fall, you know, they suffered their first conference uh, playoffs loss ever with this group under Kerr. If it, it, what if that's just like, no, yeah, like it's over. It's just 2022 was it. Yeah. They're just, one of the, they're one of the four best teams in the West, not one of the two. Yeah. And that's, um, it's very possible they win the title again. They have Steph Curry, but, and they have great coaching and, and Draymond and, and good players. And I like their, I like a lot of their guys, but there, I think there is that urgency there. Um, what's funny here is I have one other team in this final four bus territory category. I have Suns warriors and then I have the friggin' Chicago bulls. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to put the bulls this high because that's where I think they should be. <laughs> yeah. 
like it's it's like an irrational it's an irrational uh unrealistic expectation but the only reason that you bring this group back and don't make changes is if you're like yep we're gonna go for it and they asked rosen um you know what makes you think this is gonna work third times the shot like they don't even know they're just like yeah we're gonna go out and we're gonna play and it's frustrating for bulls fans and it's frustrating i think for those of us that cover the league um it's frustrating for somebody like me that likes nikola vucevic and likes zach levine their games at least that likes what patrick williams has shown um and there are promising signs i think they'll be better than last year but it's also just like yeah they're gonna make a run at it and then it's probably gonna fail and then they're gonna have to blow it up because DeRozan's expiring and they're they've wanted to move on from zach levine for a while like this is the last run so you better make the most of it so i've got the bulls in this category as well i just i just don't believe that this organization is going to show that urgency but i agree with you that they should but i also think they should have a couple of years ago plenty more to discuss but first a message from fanduel Snap into action this season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That is $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, which I love, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 or over and present in Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. My tier three, so I've, I've run through, counting it out, I've run through nine teams so far. My tier three is different because it is not teams that I expect to be in the title picture. But the reason why I have the two of them separate, and I've been fixated on these two organizations for a little bit now, is because of the financial pressures in the Delta, basically like with them, depending on how the season goes. And those two are the Timberwolves and the Hawks. So the logic here is I'll start with the Wolves because the Wolves in many ca- in many ways are the easier one to make here, which is Minnesota's team, the only way it is viable financially beyond this season is if they win a bunch. Because not only do they have Gobert making a ton of money and Towns making a ton of money and Edwards making a ton of money for 24-25, but Jaden McDaniels is going to be on a contract and then you have to figure out something with Conley. And there really isn't a pathway. So either ownership is willing to spend it, which pretty much requires big success this year. I don't think it requires winning the title or anything silly like that, but like probably making the conference finals or looking like you're a team that we expect to do that in 24-25. And the other part of it is... As of now, and this could obviously change, and the way it would change would be Towns, is their ways to save money make them way worse. Because, like, you're not trading Rudy Gobert to save money and ending up with, like, a successful solution. Like, you know, I'm not saying Gobert's a wonderful player. It's just, like, if a team is taking on Rudy Gobert, they're not doing it out of the goodness of their heart because they think he's a great contract. Right. So the only guy where that's different, I mean, it would obviously be Edwards, but you don't trade Edwards, is Towns, where maybe they're, maybe it's the Knicks, maybe it's the Nets or somebody else. I don't know why I'm thinking, I mean, he is an Elizabeth native, maybe I'm thinking of the Tri-State, but that's that's the pathway out. And it's sort of similar, but not as extreme with the Hawks. Like the Hawks could just like resolve their center situation and do it, but like they can't bring this team back unless they make it kind of that far. <sighs> Yeah, I have them in this next tier, which kind of lines up with your tier three, which is it's must find a pulse. Mm -hmm. That to me is like the way is a lot of things are lining up. Like I'm very I'm very bullish on the Wolves this year. I have them uh, division bet on them. Uh, I think they're going to win 45 plus games. I think they're going to be really good. And if you if you ask the Nuggets on Truth Serum, who is the toughest team that they played in the playoffs? They would tell you the Wolves. And that's surprising to a lot of people, but it's about the size. Like, they were the only team that could match up with them with size. Uh, and that's such a big Denver advantage that people don't realize. So I, I do think it's – you better feel good about what you accomplished this year. I think it's tricky to be – you know, and, and the problem – you kind of mentioned it, which is maybe not conference finals this year, but conference finals next year. The trick with that is I'm always like, this could change 
so much to next year again, like this better work because you've doubled down based off of last year's success and you really think that you're there and you're, you know, and that to me is when it's like, oh, that's, that's not a good spot for the Wolves to be in. There's a lot of expectation there. The expectation right now is just kind of like, hey, can we be a good team? Like, can we get everybody healthy and just be like pretty, like better than a play in tournament team? I think they probably can. I think they can. I think they're really good. Um, I think there's a lot to like there. But I think Chris Finch and I like Anthony Edwards and I think Mike Conley is going to bring a lot to the table. I love what I've seen him from Towns in, in preseason. Like I will once again fall for the uh, uh, for Lucy with the football and say maybe this is the year that that Cat figures it out. I actually this is weird. I've always been so critical of Rudy's offensive game, and I thought he did more last season. And they trusted him more. They gave him opportunities to score inside, and he actually did it a little bit. And all you got to do is do that a little bit in order to scare teams off of off of the switch and if you do that just a little bit it messes with the easy game plan versus Gobert, and it makes the what he does all that more valuable so they better find a pulse this season it better be you know you better not get to the end of the season and be like man we thought that the problem last year was towns was out and it just turns out we're just not very good uh because if that's the case now all of a sudden it's like yeah we're moving towns and we're going to try and offload Gobert, and we're focused on money and not wins and that can I throw one more team that I nearly put here and now I'm thinking I may end up doing it? Yeah. The Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, so it's funny. I, I have this – to put this in perspective, my team's in this tier, which is uh, three for you and four for me. It, the must find a pulse. I've got the Grizzlies here, the Wolves. I have the Mavericks. I have the Pelicans, as you just mentioned, and I have your Hawks. So we're in line with Mavericks, Pelicans, Hawks in this – or I'm sorry, Wolves, Pelicans, Hawks. I threw in Mavericks and Grizzlies as well. That makes sense. I'm I think for me part of the Grizzlies story. So I actually have them way I have them way down. I have them I have six tiers. I have them in tier 5 on the logic that I think they have a lot of I think they feel they have a lot of the piece in place like if this year goes poorly, I don't think they're firing the coach or the general manager. I don't think they're um you know any of the like I don't think they're doing any of the the big big stuff. Um but you know, I could see I could see the rest. Of that. I mean, and the, the, also the jaw suspension complicates things. And hopefully, the, hopefully, this one is all there is. We we can't know. But I want to briefly talk about the Pels because not only is it the like money part of it, and you know, naturally, I'm you know CBA guy. I, I think about that part of it a lot. And with CJ and Zion and Ingram, it's also the talent and timeline elements of it too. The the good news for David Griffin and company is that the Pelicans do have these resources, including that Lakers pick and and some other stuff going out. But they also, like, we're reaching the point where there are a lot of different ways the season can go right and wrong that matter a lot for the direction of the franchise. And you could think about Valanchunas, you could think about the Williamson-Ingram pairing and everything else. And, I mean, we're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of their support players are hurt right now. I don't think that matters as much in the immediate as it does, like, if if there are injuries in March and April. But... New Orleans, I've I've grouped in this there. There's this kind of pod to me, and I didn't put them in the same tiers for this of like them and the Thunder and maybe the Jazz. The Jazz are complicated where they're actually better positioned to take a big swing sooner rather than later. I just don't know if that's the way their decision makers are going to see the world. I think all these teams are are fascinating. So I think with the Pelicans, if we're talking about finding a pulse, right? I think it's there are there is always a point where you have to pull the plug on the injury stuff. You just have to be like, look, it just doesn't it's just not working here. And um, Zion has never been he's he is not the tether that keeps the locker room together. That's Brandon Ingram. And this that's why I think their their situation is so uniquely fascinating, because the on court stuff is entirely separate from the off court stuff. The locker room stuff is Brandon Ingram is beloved by coaches. He's beloved by fellow teammates. They all rally around him. They love B.I. The on-court stuff is they are much better when Zion is the primary initiator and he's the one creating everything and he's the best player on the floor and everyone fits around him. Like this preseason nonsense where it's CJ and B.I. handling the ball and Zion's in the dunker. What are we doing? What are we doing? Like, what are what are we doing? And so there, there has to be a resolution to that. They're either going to figure it out and mold around it and become what they were last year, which was the number one team in the West or at that level, a top five defensive team with a really good offense or there's going to be injuries and they're going to settle back into watching B.I. take mid-range jumpers. And that gap to me is very wide with the Grizzlies. Here's what I would say. I don't know. You last year was so devastatingly embarrassing, which is funny because it's just like, yeah, I know a bunch of guys. If you look at if you take out the context, it's just 
just like, oh, a bunch of guys got hurt and they got beat by a Lakers team that got hot. But if they get to the end of this year and it's like Bain didn't make the leap, Jaron is still inconsistent. You know, he's good, but he's not like he's not polished enough yet. Um, Ja missed time after coming back from suspension and he had and in the event that he has more situations that arise, then it's like maybe this thing is just jailblazer doomed. Like maybe this thing is just um trying to think of those other young teams. Some of those other young teams, uh Blazers with Odin and uh Roy. These other teams that it's like this should have worked out, but it just didn't work out. You know, I think it ramps up the pressure considerably. And and the other thing that ramps up the pressure is giving up the first for Marcus Smart. Like basically, what they're saying is, okay, like we 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 got rid of we got rid of Dylan Brooks and got very little in that transaction, other than some you know some flexibility that they didn't really use. And but they eventually got Marcus Smart in a different deal and sacrificed some capital to do so. I'm not saying that makes it a good or a bad move. That's just that's the decision that they made. And that does put a little bit more heat on everything. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, I'm moving them up from tier five to tier four. I think that's and you and your argument is definitely sound. I'll and that it thematically it makes sense. So my tier four is split into kind of two different groups, and I guess you could say a third is just the Bulls. Um, one of them is the like good teams that like it doesn't have to be this year, but it very well could be, and I'm sure they kind of feel it should be. And that would be the Celtics, the Nuggets, and now the Grizzlies. Where mm. the Nuggets won the title, the won the title last year, but they also do have the best player in the world. They have the you know they the player who was the Finals MVP, who was who's been the best player in the regular season each of the last three years. And so you want to be really good, but I don't think like if they lose in the conference finals that fire everyone or anything silly like that. That's a, that's a good example, right? It's like, it's like <laughs> there's the old, uh, I think it's Springsteen, uh, somebody's going to emergency, somebody's going to jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is somebody getting fired? Is somebody getting traded? Uh, is, is kind of a guiding principle for this. So I have in this rel- in line with the tiers, it's one spot lower, but again, um, kind of in line with yours. It's mine's comfortably contending. And it's Denver, OKC, the Kings, the Knicks, actually, the Pacers, the Heat, and the Celtics. Where it's just like, you know, Denver, if they don't win the title this year, Calvin Booth has kind of made it, made it apparent. Like, no, we're, we're trying to win two and four, three and six, four and eight. That's what we're trying to do. So we won the one. We'd rather have long-term window with Nikola Jokic until he's done than all in every year and then run out of real estate, which is kind of what the Bucks have done, which is like got to win a title every year, got to win a title every year, um, you know, trading the capital, not keeping the powder dry, et cetera. OKC, I just think that if you listen to Maury's comments on on Media Day and he talks about the fallacy of going all, quote, all in, I just think that, that Sam Presti is very in a very different place from how others of us view them where we're like Shay's amazing and you have Chet and Jalen Williams is so good and Josh Giddy and Sam Presti's like yeah we have a bunch of really good young players and young players don't win in this league and we have time where Shay's still got another three years probably of of super prime so like we're we're not going to necessarily hyper accelerate uh we don't see that opportunity right now we don't think that we're one move away from winning a title we want to make sure and like he's just an exceptionally patient gm and he has so much backing he can afford it like he's just earned so much goodwill with ownership there's not an edict like a lot of this is also you can read into the comments from the gms and read what their relationship is like with ownership and also what ownership's message is. And I think if ownership was like, I want to win a title of Shea Gillis Alexander, then Sam Presti would be a lot more aggressive. He's not. The Kings, I think, are in the similar spot of, like, they've said a lot of, we don't want to go backwards because they're trying to change the perception. They don't want it to just be like, yeah, no, the King- remember that year the Kings were good? Yeah, and then it was back to being the Kings. They want to avoid that. So there's like a little bit of pressure. If Denver goes out in the first round, that would be like, oh, well, that was not a good exit. We're probably going to need to rework the bench concept. Um, the Knicks, I think, are just waiting for the next superstar. Like they've they've built a pretty good core, and they have assets, and they're waiting for Embiid or Towns to be available. Um, Pacers, it's, they're just building on the way up. Like, yeah, we're hopeful to make a playoff spot this year. That seems like a reasonable thing. Miami's fascinating just because of everything that happened this summer, but their entire thing kind of seems like, nope, we're just going to keep having Jimmy Butler be a top three player in the playoffs and finding guys like Cole Swider and Jamal Cain, and we'll just keep doing what we do. We tried to get Dame, didn't work. 
you know, we'll wait for the next guy. But in between, we're still going to be really good. And Boston, I think kind of the same thing. It's weird that the Bucks I, I have is so much pressure. And it's mostly just built off of Tatum hasn't gotten there yet. And so it doesn't seem like Tatum is in like, I, I want to win a title right now. I better win. Tatum's in like, nope, I'm a Celtic. I'm a Celtic for life. And so they've got the window of however long he's there. It is worth mentioning. Not, I, I agree with everything you said. I brought up, you know, I have the, I have the Cavaliers in tier one because of Donovan Mitchell. Jason Tatum has exactly the same contract structure. The difference is that Jason Tatum is on a team that we we both have higher expectations for, yeah. you know, and that they then they have the level. But the Celtics, they're kind of like the, you know, it doesn't have to be this year, but it does have to be at some point to to get get to where they're going. But also, like they've made a finals, you know, like they've they've done. Well, I think I think look next year. I think next year I'm going to have Celtics in like this better work. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. you get into year two, you get into after the the year of the Jalen extension, the first year rather, and you you're just like really like we're just we still don't have it. We still we're paying all this money and we still don't have it. You know, Porzingis I think puts a little bit of that too. Where if if they go through this year and it's disappointing, Porzingis is not healthy, and it's like man, we committed a lot of resources on this, and it's he's not around. We have no bench. And our guy is not available. Like now it's like, you're a little bit like the Lakers. Like you're a little, little bit like the Lakers in that regard. Um, I think, I I think that that's all um, very possible. When I echo you on the heat, I think that's, we placed them in basically the same spot and you could see the lack of urgency with the heat by what they did. And I, that a lot of times you are like, if the tea leaves are easy to read, just read them. You don't have to have to go into it more. And the idea that they're confident in what they have and that they can roll through it. And I mean, their success does bear that out. And I mean, if they, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was very critical. I thought they like, let guys go and oh, you're going to have to find new players. And then they did in Struess and Vincent. And now those guys are gone and now they have to do it again. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. We'll have to find out. I have three to so my tier four is a little bit bigger. I have three other teams that aren't as competitive in this group. And this is more, I brought up reading tea leaves for me, partially in their actions and partially just structurally and those three teams are the rockets mm-hmm. the pistons and the magic Interesting. And, and so the rockets i mean we saw it based on the moves rafael stone made i mean they brought in fred van vliet they brought in dylan brooks and even if they didn't get brooke lopez like they want to be a lot better if they don't get a lot better whether it's fair or it's not i think stone is out of a job um and they brought in you made okay which i didn't mention as one of their other big moves i think they will be but we'll get into but like there's that the Pistons and the Magic are there for different reasons. The Pistons, it's because of what Troy Weaver has has kind of done. Like they've the it's not only that they've, you know, spent money on players who can help them right now and not really getting much in the way of resources like Joe Harris, like Monte Morris. Not that I disagreed with those moves, but just they did that. But it's also the guys that they've retained. Like, I mean, I want to run through some of the players that are still on the Detroit Pistons. <laughs> Bojan Bogdanovich, Joe Harris, Alec Burks, Monte Morris. And then, like, so those are non-young players who have games that at least make sense in some variety on a good team. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to, like, start or they're going to do anything else. And not only are one of two, one or two of those guys still there, they're all still there. <laughs> and so that, to me, indicates a GM who thinks he's on the hot seat and probably is. And then for the Magic... It's more the idea, I don't think that it's like, oh, if they don't make the playoffs this year, then Weltman and everyone else is getting fired. It's the, if this year doesn't go well, maybe they start saying, well, what are we doing here? And there are reasons why this Magic team could succeed or fail. And I mean, I, their backcourt stuff is bizarre. But they have a lot of talent. I'm, I, 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 you know, there's this idea of like, oh, Franz Wagner had such a good year. Like, I think there's another step for him. There might even be two steps for him this year. And Bancaro had a weird season where like he showed flashes, but also was kind of worse than people thought in, in, in a lot of ways. The second half of his year was pretty awful, yeah. but not in ways that I think are, per, are particularly signal E. Um, so, so like for the magic, it may just be me reading, reading things wrong. And I mean, you look at their off season and it doesn't look like an urgent one. They, they used their capital on re-signing Mo Wagner on basically a one-year deal and signing Joe Ingles on a one-year deal. So 
maybe I'm wrong, but there's a part of me that goes, if they, you know, they're not close, if it's, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be better than this, that it goes a different way. It's interesting. So this tier I've labeled uh, just happy to be here. I think a, a better kind of thing is is probably a better description would be we're good as long as disaster doesn't strike. Yeah, my tier, uh, my tier five is called as long as it's not a disaster. Yeah, and so I, just happy to be here slash um, as long as disaster doesn't strike is – I have the magic, I have the nets, I have the rockets, and I have the jazz, where if uh, – part of this is the expectation, is that all those teams, it's like, what are you expected to win? Somewhere north of 30. You're not expected to tank. Like, you're not expected to be in that kind of a spot. If the magic win 39 games and are within shouting distance of a play-in spot, would they be happy? Probably not. Like, they'd rather be over 500 and, in, like, in the play-in, but – if they get to that and ever and Bancaro looks better and Wagner looks better and they figure out whether or not it's going to be faults long term, because that to me is the big lingering question is just like, are they going to commit to faults or not? Um, if they can get something out, if they figure out if, whether it's either Jalen Suggs or Anthony Black. But some of this is also like they're just going to figure this stuff out and they have enough talent. They're just going to win 30 plus wins. Like it's it's all the bar is so low versus the talent that it's like it's hard to see this thing going so sideways that it could be bad. And that's how I am with the Rockets, too, where I originally bet an under on them and I've actually come back in on the over because I like how they've looked in preseason. I just think Udoka is going to be more of a lift than we think. But it's also like Houston just has to not be a laughing stock like the like other players were lecturing that team in open media on podcasts last year. The bar is exceptionally low for Houston. And if you add in the veteran talent and where that veteran talent like essentially means, it's really funny because um, this is one of the things I love about the betting side is you start to understand that versus people who are like, that guy doesn't matter. It's like, no, 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 that guy doesn't matter more than a replacement player, but he still matters as much as an average replacement player. And if you add a bunch of average replacement players together and they're all healthy, do you know what you have? You have an average team because <laughs> mm-hmm. they're all average. And so, like, this is part of it is like, okay, Dylan Brooks, I think he's, if you think, if you think he's slightly worse than an average replacement player because of his shot selection or whatever else, okay, fine. But, like, that means that his minutes will be allocated and provide the minutes of a slightly below average player, right? Of, of a slightly below average team. And you add all these kind of things up together. And so, I think Houston's floor is just so low with a, with a expectation that it's, you mean, mean their, you mean their, their expectation floor is so low? It's both, right? Where it's like the expectation is so low and their floor is there, is right at that. Like all they have to do is not go below what should be their reasonable floor and they're okay. I think the Jazz are the same way where it's like Utah's still like wheeling and dealing. Like they'll probably like look to move Sexton and THT was involved in talks for a, a possible three-way deal uh, involving Dame. Um you know, they they had conversations about Tyler Hero. They're still figuring things out. So with the Jazz, it's mostly just like we just want to be a professionally a professional basketball team that plays pretty well. You don't have to like we're not going to tank. You don't have to win 40 games somewhere in there is totally fine. Nets kind of the same deal where it's like, look, we lost KD and Kyrie. We're still reconfiguring. We're still probably moving Dorian Finney Smith. But, you know, we'd like to be a professional, good basketball team that's tough to play every night. We we have a bunch of guys in that kind of a spot. Um, so Magic, Nets, Rockets, and Jazz to me are all kind of in that in that slot of as long as their performance doesn't dip below a reasonable floor, they're okay. One stat on the Rockets, and I feel badly because this is a player that I liked, but I think this is this goes to your point about average players. Dacian Nix played 914 minutes yeah. for the Rockets last and year. Boy, Rockets not did him Ooh. 914. <laughs> Like yeah. that that's not even like, oh, you know, this right. Like he he played in fifty seven games. Yeah. And so it's oh, oh they played him late or anything like that. Like the, those kinds of changes. Uh, the Rockets are going to be such a fascinating test case because like I still don't believe in their offense. I think their defense is gonna be fascinating. But let's, um, let's go to Pistons. I wanna I wanna try and make the case for why you should lower them. Okay. Um, so you're right they have this kind of veteran talent. The Joe Harris thing I think is just like a that's a really a big question mark of just like, man, I don't know what Joe is at this point. Um but if we look at the Pistons, I still look at them and go, they were still like they were still doing deals to take like they're still very much. And, yeah, we'll take your money. 
like we'll take your money if we can get the draft capital a little bit and they didn't they are still like they're giving guys like killian hayes like hey let's see if you can put it together hey let's see if you can put it together james wiseman they're still in let's see if we can get another guy to go with Cade. because my thing is i'm just like man i still even with monte morris and joe harris and bogdanovich and burks I'm still like, God, this team is going to be wretched offensively. Like, I just don't know how you have expectations for this squad of anything above <laughs> a tanks team, given how bad I think their offense is going to be. Oh, I, um, I don't, but I think Gore as well. You think Gore as well? So I, th- I think well. So I, 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 I hear you, and I mean. And the Monty Williams part of this is is so curious. I mean, yes. I, I I think it was a, a very good decision. But they also gave him this huge long contract where you could interpret this com- at this point. You could interpret this two completely reasonable ways that are, seem impossible to reconcile. Which is one is hey, you brought in one of the best available coaches, maybe the single best available coach. So obviously you're trying to win now. But the other is you gave him this. You gave him the kind of deal like the Celtics gave Brad Stevens, though Stevens was significantly less accomplished at that point. And he did it, Butler. But the idea basically that there's an implied thing when you give a guy a long contract that you might have to write out some shit. And maybe that's a part of this too. Like maybe, and, and it could even be they're telling Monty Williams one thing and Tom Gore's another, which is which honestly might be what I my interpretation of it. And like, see, so and you can also tie that in with like it looks like Asar Thompson's going to start for them. And you could say, well, why would you start a, a rookie who has these strengths and weaknesses if you were trying to be competitive? It's also like they need somebody who can play defense. That would be ideal. So I don't know what to think of the Pistons. My so I have a five or sorry a four team bottom tier I called it take it easy and you, a couple of them have already come up one of them is the Brooklyn Nets and you know I they're the other side of that Joe Harris trade like Brooklyn they had both a successful offseason and an offseason that you know doesn't exactly make you think that they're going for it right now and the other key force for Brooklyn being here is that they there isn't really an agitating factor now that the money part is solved. Mikhail Bridges is under contract for two more seasons after this year. Cam Johnson's under contract for three. They have restricted rights or something for basically everybody but Nick Claxton. And if they want to figure things out with Claxton, they can. I don't think of him as the, you know, like the guy who, oh, if they suck this year, he's definitely going to leave because they sucked. So yeah, they're there now. Maybe they, and, and unlike I like you, I could very well see this being whichever of their wings they can get the most for or has an interest somewhere else, they just move them. The other three are significantly more obvious here, and that's because we've seen it in what they've done. The Spurs with Wembenyama will move up at some point, but that point is not now. Um, they they have a little bit of time to figure this out. And like one of the big parts is going to be, what do they want to do in their front court? You know, is, is it Wembenyama and Zach Collins? And it's not necessarily like evaluating all of these players like, oh, it needs to be Zach Collins. It's the idea and the archetype of them. And so that's a little bit of pressure. And Wembenyama, I'm hoping he is so good that like Luke, like Luca, where you he's so good that you get into the adverse effects, you know, like the the some of the really moral hazardy stuff because that means Wembenyama's been really good. I hope the Spurs don't succumb to it. And then the other two are the Wizards and the Blazers. Thankfully, the Blazers have clarified their position here. I have them as the least urgent team in the NBA. I think there's plenty of reason to believe that. And then the Wizards at two. I'm a little queasy having them this deep, even though bringing in winger, I see them being toward there because it's still Ted Leonsis. But if you put this team on the floor and you look at like kind of where their books might be going and everything like that, you're not you're not going hard after it right now. It's also just funny because the Wizards feel like, oh, I know how this is going to go. Oh, they're going to win. 26 games they're not going to get the number one pick they're going to get bumped in the lottery by some team uh they're going to wind up at like four or five they're not going to get or they win the lottery in the year that there isn't a good number one pick they get the yeah. they get anthony benedict yeah um and like west unsell is going to take the fall for it for having a roster that doesn't make any sense i don't think he's been great but i don't think he's been terrible um the team is is built to be a disaster like you're any team where you're just like let's see what jordan Poole does I like like I think Jordan probably got a pretty rough go of it in, in Golden State, all things considered. What he what he contributed, uh, that doesn't mean that you should be like the stuff last night from the preseason game. Denny Avdia just watching Jordan Poole 
doing Jordan Poole stuff. Um, I, the only thing that's weird about it is, again, it's just like, why? Okay, if you're going to go this route and you're fine with being terrible and you built a roster that's probably going to be terrible, why did you give Kuzma that money? Like, why not just let him walk? It's not a, it's not an old school vet that's going to help the young guys along. You're not having him there to mentor anybody. Like that was such a. I, I have an decision. I have an idea on that, which is the modern NBA is that it's they can get something for him without sacrificing draft position. So mm-hmm. they notably, and this makes sense given Winger's reputation, Kuzma's deal is front loaded. Mm-hmm. So it's twenty five point six this year, twenty three point five the following year, and so on and so forth. What that means as a practical consideration is they're taking this brunt. Not that his contract is that onerous in the first place. They know there's interest in Kuzma because there were, you know, like we got reporting about the Kings and a few other teams that were that were there. Kuzma got his money, but it's not so prohibitive, especially with the way the cap is going to move over the next couple of years. So he gets his money. He gets the security of a four-year deal. And then whether it's this February, next June, next February, depending on a variety of factors, including how the Wizards do, the quality of offers, and everything else, you get it done. And then with Poole... It's sort of a version of the same story. Best case scenario, he's an important part of a great team. Worst case scenario, he straight up sucks. And in all of those circumstances, it doesn't matter yet to the Wizards because the Wizards don't have the players who matter yet. And so, you know, when they, hopefully they get their Wembenyama, they get their Luka Doncic at some point soon. But if they don't, those deals aren't going to kill them. And like they have a lot of flexibility, and they'll have to figure things out. And maybe Koulibaly's good, and they have so they can they can do what Oklahoma City has kind of done. It's like not only the Shea part of it, but getting young players in who can fill roles and who can be a part of the successful team. And then maybe you do have to spend to get the other dudes, but you can do that. But I'm never going to believe Ted Leonsis has the patience to make this happen until he actually does it. Yeah, I mean, we just don't know. Leon, I have a hard time figuring out what Leon oh. is. Oh, one I didn't I didn't mention. Um, so I actually have the Hornets tier five, but I mm. honestly didn't know where they were the single hardest team to place because I I had them in the uh, as long as it's not a disaster category. And I'm like, but it's already a disaster. So yeah. I, I just them, don't know. I, for them, it's interesting because I, I, I put them at the top because new ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, your, your logic is totally reasonable. Yeah, I completely. New I, I, I new ownership. Now, the, the other part why I couldn't like I considered putting them as high as tier two is I don't think they're trading Lamelo. And so if you're not going to do that, like, oh, maybe they maybe they fire Clifford. They're almost definitely going to have a new general manager at some point in the next 12 months because they damn well better. Um, so they're going to make those kinds of decisions, but it's just like they started off like the preseason was really promising. Training camp was like the vibe was great. Like Clifford's talking about this being the best team he's ever coached talent wise, which I'm like, really? Uh, by the way, that sent me down a deep rabbit hole in terms of the quality of the other teams Clifford coached. And it was depressing. It was depressing. Um, and then like, so the vibes were all really good. And, and then like what happens immediately, the miles bridges thing happens. Kai Jones, Kai Jones is whatever. Like that was coming a long time. Uh, it's a sad situation, but it's also just like, if you start setting up expectations of, Hey, we think we're going to be really good this year. And like, everybody is very bullish on their overs. And like, I bet they're over on the win total 31 and a half and some alts, because I think the number is that off based off of kind of like a, okay, the roster is what the roster is. But like the capacity for this to go sideways is just massive. Like if the Hornets are not like a 35 win, 39 win, 40 win, you know, close to play in tournament team, they're going to be absolutely God awful. And you, that's a, somebody's getting fired and somebody's getting traded. Kind mm-hmm. of talk. It's a fair point. Lots of Hornets talk. Um, <laughs> what team, as I'll say the Hornets are probably that for me. What team do you think you could be, what team are you most confident you have in the right tier? And what team are you least confident? Okay. That's a good question. Um, I'm actually most confident in the Sixers. I, I, just the same thing. <laughs> I just think that there's a lot of oh, this Sixers is, and Blazers. It's it, it, here's the thing. There's the stuff with with Hardman, which is out in the open. And I'm not like going to, I'm not going to be overly, um, insidious with this. I just, to me, there's a lot of things where I keep looking sideways at that team and being like, what, what's going to happen here? It it just feels like there's going to be a very different Sixers team here in a couple of years, and so to me, I'm I'm very confident that like, man, they better make it like let's better all come together, and they are the look at the adversity and look how they overcame Harden and all those type of things uh, this year. Or it's going to get rough. The toughest for me is probably I'll say the Pelicans because 
that's a team that got Scoot's medicals. Like, you know, the, the, the talk after of, oh, no, Zion Williamson was never on the table. Okay, so why did you get Scoot Henderson's medicals? Because you knew you weren't getting Scoot unless you traded Zion or B.I. And you weren't trading B.I. because everyone says that you love B.I. and you want to keep him. So so why? why? Why did you get Scoot Henderson's medicals? Um, and then just like... Man, I don't know. Like, is Willie Green a good coach? Is he a bad coach? Can they stay healthy? Is this like, is this the team they were in December? Are they somewhere in between? Like, I don't know what to, I don't know how to set an expectation for the Pelicans. So for me, they're, they're definitely the toughest. I like both of your choices and I'll, I'll, I'll add in the Blazers for easiest just because they've, they've clarified matters and I appreciate that. Yeah. I I appreciate them not making this whole like, oh no, we're, we're going to try and go. Although I will say like, I'm there, they got a little bit of jazz from last year to them where it's like, they got some guys. They're not guys that I want to build around, but they got guys. They do. I, and I could see them rattling off like a four game win streak at some point early in the season being like, oh, the Blazers for real. And then and, and them being more for real. But yeah, we'll, we'll have to see that. I will thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read and listen to his excellent work as a part of the Action Network and then audio in Locked On NBA and Locked On Nuggets as well. And I truly love these podcasts. I'm so happy he was able to do it. And we already talked about potentially bringing this back, if we think of it, which who knows if we will, in future years as a framing device for the beginning of the season. Absolutely loved it for that. It was a lot of fun. And you can also, of course, follow Matt on social media at HP Basketball. And for those who've asked, this comes up with tiers pods a lot. The reason why I do not post our tiers is for a very simple reason. It's the same reason that I do not, when possible, put grades for trades like on my written pieces for The Athletic. And a lot of the other stuff I do with Nate is the same philosophy, which is that from my experience, people do not engage as much with the material if you can get a summary. And the whole point of this is that you're going to go into it deeply. And it's possible that some listeners or potential listeners don't don't do that, would rather just do it. I'm, I'm okay with losing them if that's what happens because context matters a ton. And I mean, we obviously have some that are more rigorous and less theoretical than this one happens to be, but that is, that is my policy. So if people ask for it, I'm not going to do that. And then, you know, for certain things like the over-unders with Arturo and other things, like if, if my guests want to post and all that, they are of course welcome to, but that's why I do what I do. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do so. You can download every episode, subscribe. That's really useful for Real GM Radio because it is never going to come out on a specific day of the week. That's not the way it works for me and my guests. And you can also help other people find the show through leaving a rating and review, through word of mouth, through social media. All of that is deeply appreciated. The most important thing you can do for this podcast and any other that has them, though, is to check out our sponsors for us. That is FanDuel, fanduel.com slash Boston. And new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. I went through all the details there earlier on. You can listen to that. You can also check out my other work. I had a piece come out at The Athletic on Thursday about some of the decisions that teams are making. I actually have two other pieces deep in process right now. I I would guess one of them will come out next week and one probably the following week, just depending on editorial, depending on when I have the time to actually get them done. And then, of course, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime. Those are going strong. Nate and I will be back to our normal cadence. I believe it's starting next week that we'll be going to five days a week or pretty dang close to that because the season's about to start, and we're super excited about that. And we'll be doing a mix, as always, of gamers of eventually, not first week, 15 and 60 and everything else. And I'm super duper excited for this season to start. And of course, keep an eye on social media and everything else for further announcements. I believe that there is at least one thing that I know of that is not yet. I haven't seen it made public yet, so I'm not going to talk about it here yet because I'm not I'm not going to break that news here. But I am extremely excited about it. So that will come up at some point in the next, I would guess, 10 days. Um, probably a good guess there. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I try to reply. I admit I'm not the best at that, but I, I try. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.